0: This is recording number 11043, from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, April 7, 2013. This is the first message in a series titled, Finding God at the End of the Road. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, With Trouble at Your Heels. We're going to um, begin a three-part series this, uh, this morning um, called Finding God at the End of the Road. Anybody ever felt like you were at the end of the rope? Sometimes we say, say uh, it feels like I'm at the end of my rope. But, you know, at the, in the early service, you don't get to watch this, but in the early service I showed a video clip from, from uh, Back to the Future 3. Anybody ever seen that movie? Okay, And at the very end, uh, the locomotive is pushing the, uh, what do you call it, the DeLorean. DeLorean, yes. And Marty McFly is trying to get that sucker up to, this, I forget how many miles an hour. And uh, and um, there's all of this tension going on because uh, Mary Steenburgen, I forget her name in the, picture is hanging by her skirt off of the locomotive and Doc is trying to rescue her you remember this scene? And, and finally Doc rescues her and they go flying off on the hoverboard and Marty gets back into the DeLorean and right up ahead it says end of track right? and uh, the reason I showed that is because I know what that feels like to be staring at the end of the road and feeling like there's a locomotive at my back And that's what we're going to talk about today, finding God at the end of the road with trouble at your heels. It's a familiar feeling for a lot of us. I remember when um, Sue and I, if you've ever had the experience of moving from the Bay Area to some other part of the country and then having to move back, you know it's not easy we pay a lot of money for housing around here and when you go somewhere else and you go wow I could really I could afford that much for what I've been paying over there it's a kind of an enlightening experience but not going the other way it's a little depressing and and I had gone to take a church in the Central Valley for a couple years and then we were coming back to plant a new church in the Bay Area and facing that situation plus we had a home and that we had bought in the Central Valley that we could not sell. Finally, we rented it out to some people who um, had an option to to buy a year lease with an option uh, to buy, and uh, we were upside down on the you know uh, rent versus mortgage payment on the house. But we thought, well, it's the best we can do. We were out here in the in the uh, Bay Area trying to find employment while we were. Get preparing to start the church, and it was a very tough time for us financially. And then we get a call a couple of months in from the people who had rented the home in Visalia out there in the Central Valley, and said, uh, and they said, "Well, you know, uh, I just got transferred with my job to the Midwest. We're going to have to bail on the on the lease." And it was like I uh, I could see the end of the track. You know, it's like you you're at the the edge, and you. And you can't imagine any other scenario, but you're going to go off the end. And it feels like... So there's nowhere to go, and it feels like something is pressing in on you. And there's nothing that the enemy likes better than to get you into that pressure cooker situation where you feel pressed in on every side because he wants for you to make decisions that are going to ruin you. And... You know, it's just really, really tough. And we're going to look at an occasion in the life of the children of Israel much like that. And as we do, I'm hoping the Lord will... uh, Bring to your mind either something that you have gone through, and by the way, if you 've gone through something like this before, I hate to be the bearer of, that, of bad news, but that 's probably not the last time in this life you 're going to face that kind of stuff. Some of you may be there right now either way i 'd like to ha- i 'm praying that the Lord will bring to your mind put you in the, uh, make you aware of what it 's like to be in that spot, and then let 's learn from what the children of Israel do. Because God gives them, I think, a remarkable and wonderful um, way to navigate those times when you're at the end of the road. And, And you know what? The enemy means for those times to be destructive to you, but God means for you to find him there. The places I have experienced God the most are just like that. And you know what I'm talking about, many of you. So... Exodus chapter 14, verse 5. And this happens right after the people of Israel have been liberated from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And, and uh, you most of you know the story if you've ever seen the movie The Ten Commandments. They're on their way out of Egypt, and they haven't gotten very far yet. They've come to the Red Sea, and that kind of stops their progress because they, they can't really get across it. And here we go, verse 5. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And it all of a sudden dawns on Pharaoh and his people, his leaders, that they've just let go their entire labor force, their, their slave labor force. So he, Pharaoh, made ready his chariot... And took his people with him. He also took 600 choice chariots. And all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. Now, most of us when we think of chariots, we think of a little flimsy kind of cart, you know. But to those people, th- these were like, these were like um, tanks. They were like Black Hawk helicopters. When I was a kid uh, in the town where I grew up in Torrance, California, down in Southern California... Uh, on Memorial Day weekend or the weekend before Memorial Day, there was always a big parade and all of the uh, armed services would come and bring all of their vehicles and gear and stuff. And as a little boy, it was like heaven. And I remember because where they would have all of this stuff, you know, land and and be uh, staged, not only for the parade, but for viewing afterwards, where there'd be trucks and tanks and communication gear, helicopters and stuff. And I remember, you know, just like the day before, the helicopters would come to land, and I'd be in my front yard just waiting, you know, look, scanning the sky, and then these big old honking choppers would come flying in to land, and it was probably, I don't know, quarter-mile from my house and so I would jump on my bike and r- race down there and I'd get out there in the field and there's debris and dust and wind everywhere and I'm going yeah oh I love that I can still remember that these big old you know machines landing now the one of the reasons why it was so great for me is because they wasn't they weren't coming after me right <laughs> And I've never been in battle, so I I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like to be facing off to that kind of weaponry and machinery. But the chariots of Egypt were like that. And the children of Israel see now 600 of the choice chariots, plus um, other uh, military personnel bearing down on them. And they're stuck. They can't go forward because the Red Sea is there. And it's just like that image at the end of the road with a locomotive bearing down on them. Verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And I think this is funny. Then they said to Moses. So they cry out to the Lord. Apparently they didn't get the answer they wanted. So then they turn to Moses. Because there were. And then they say this to Moses. Because there were no graves in Egypt. Have you taken us out here to die? Why have you so dealt with us. To bring us up out of Egypt. So in the midst of all of this turmoil. And torture. And fear. And everything. Moses. In verse 10. I mean, excuse me, verse 13, rears back and says something that doesn't doesn't seem to come from him. It seems as though he finds himself, and I've had this experience, and maybe you have too, where you find yourself saying things or believing things you didn't even know were residing in you. And somewhere out of his heart, Moses speaks these words to the people. He says to them, Don't be afraid. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. And at this point, Moses has no idea how God is going to do that. It's not until after he gets those words out of his mouth that the Lord begins to say to him, Okay, here's what we're going to do, Moses. I'm to, I want you to hold your staff out over the Red Sea. And I'm going to part the waters. And you're going to walk across this on dry ground. But he doesn't know that yet. Out of some place in the depths of his spirit. He says to these people who are tortured with fear. He says. Don't be afraid. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. Those three things are what I want to talk to you about today. Because I think they can help you. They certainly have helped me and will continue to help me when I'm at the end of the road with trouble at my heels to find God. Don't give in to fear. Don't be afraid. Don't give in to fear. You know, the Bible talks about uh, spirits, demonic spirits. Don't worry, I'm not going to go into a lot of hocus pocus here or anything like that. There's no need for concern. It's all right but it would be dishonest to of me with the scriptures not to let you know that we have an enemy the devil he's very real and the Bible says that he's got he's got helpers I don't understand it all don't pretend to understand it all but the Bible names some of them now I don't think that the the, you know demon spirits have little name badges you know Mm -hmm. it's not like that but the Bible does say does mention some the spirit of infirmity and then, in second, uh, excuse me, in First Timothy, uh, I was right the first time. Second Timothy, chapter one, verse seven, it says, "God has not given us a spirit of fear." And He names it. It's not an attitude of fear. It's not a feeling of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's talking about a demonic personality. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind because the Holy Spirit are those things. Power, love, and a sound mind. The unholy spirit is the other stuff. Fear and the rest of it. And when Moses said to those fearful people pressed in against the Red Sea at the, between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army don't be afraid. He was saying don't give place to the spirit of fear. Now this is not about changing your mind, it's not about, you know, um, the power of positive thinking. This is about addressing a personality and saying, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. That's tough to do when you're at the end of the road (laughs) with trouble bearing down on you, but it is what you need to do. When you're in that spot, there's a choice that can be made, dear one. A choice that can be made who you're going to listen to and Moses speaking I believe clearly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God says don't be afraid two years ago I mean uh, please you guys know the story that we've been living through over the last four years with Sue's bout with cancer and the glorious miracle that she's experienced and I, I won't bother you with all the details again. But two years ago, after two years of every three months having a CT scan, looking for this cancer, uh, they'd been clean for two years. And uh, every time we'd go to see the oncologist, the the, uh, the um, you know the cancer doctor, first thing she'd say when we'd walk in the room, because she'd have the scan, and then within a week time we'd go see the uh, doctor and first thing she'd say when, when we walk in the room is your, your, your uh, scan was clear because she knows we're on pins and needles waiting for that information, right? So we come into at her office, scan was clear and then we'd have the rest of the conversation. Well two years later um, we had, she had a scan, we went to see the oncologist, we walked in and she didn't say that to open the conversation. And it wasn't until later she said, well, there are some things that we see now that we are concerned about. That was not pleasant news. It was tough. And she said, well, what we're going to do now is we're going to wait for another three months. we are going to take another scan, and we'll see you again. And we'll compare the two, and we'll see where we're at and what we need to do about it. So three months passes. She has another scan. We have the appointment with the oncologist. And this is the day before that appointment. For three months now, we've been in this wrestling match you know with with all of the, this look this is my wife's life on the line it was tough for me tough for her and you know I wish that I could tell you today I am just a solid rock of faith every sinking day I live but that's just not true I'm a human being and it was a wrestling match through those three months and we came right up to that day before the the appointment and I had gone just got home from the church I was parked out in front of the house actually in front of the mailbox where we pick up our mail, and Sue was on her way home from work, and we were conversing on the phone and talking about this wrestling, the, you know, this the, the difficulty of dealing with the, you know, the encroachment of the spirit of fear. And, you know, I remember something just—I uh, don't want to say something just clicked. That's not—that's not enough. Something. Uh, rose out of my soul like like with Moses here something rose out of my soul and I said to said to Sue well I don't know what they're going to say tomorrow and I don't know what the outcome is going to be but I know this fear has no place with us whatever is going to happen fear is not part of that picture And we beat back that fear in the name of Jesus. We chose, we decided together. I'm not going to listen to the spirit of fear. You know, it's such a grand story. I mean, it it has ups and downs and so forth. But I mean, we did go in that next day, and first thing out of the doctor's mouth was, you know, it's the same as it was last time, so we assume there's no change, no difference. We're going to consider it an anomaly. You're good. But the battle for that was not, you know, it wasn't like we just jumped up. I mean, we were happy to hear the news, but it wasn't like we jumped up and down shouting and screaming in her office. It was because the battle was won the day before when we decided not to listen to the spirit of fear. So when you're in that tight spot, at the end of the road with a locomotive bearing down on your back, don't fear. Don't give place to the spirit of fear. The second thing that Moses said was, stand still or stop trying to engineer your own escape that's tough to do when you're squeezed in there tight and it feels like cuz it always feels like there's just a deadline right when it's i don't know why but a lot of my uh, end of the road experiences have had to do with finances and i can t- picture it in my mind that bill in front of me with these words date due and and then it's like yesterday right <laughs> and you feel like, I, I have to, I've got to solve this somehow. Who can I call and borrow money from? What can I sell? I remember one time I told Sue, it, it, was, <laughs> it was during that time when we were dealing with the house situation in Visalia and all that. And I, I remember saying to her, honey, we're going to sell everything we can and everything we can. We're going to put in storage and we're going to go live with your parents. And I was like, oh, I, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> I can't believe how desperate I've become. But you're almost willing to do anything, right? I mean, because we've got to squirm out of that tight spot. It's really, really hard. And I'm sure that the people of Israel are wondering, okay, how many boats can we build? Uh, Is there another route around this sea? Can we make peace with the Egyptians? I mean, they're going through contemplating all these different scenarios. Dear ones, none of them are going to be good. I always make Bad decisions when I'm squirming around trying to get myself out of a predicament. When I'm trying to engineer my own escape. Now, you know me. You know I'm not advocating irresponsibility, stupidity, or anything like that. But there is something so powerful about what Moses said to them. He said, Stand still, stop trying to engineer your own escape because you'll only make things worse. In Isaiah chapter 30 verse 15 it says this, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. When you're in that spot and everything is screaming in you, I've got to solve this alone. Somehow God has forgotten me, forsaken me, or doesn't care. I've got to do it instead of Him. When that comes, when that moment of striving comes, remember Isaiah thirty fifteen. Return. Return to His rest. Because it's in His peace that we have strength and salvation. And then Moses said, so he says, don't be afraid, stand still. And then he says, see the salvation of the Lord. Now that's, that's pretty interesting. Because what is going to happen is the, the waters of the sea are going to part. I guarantee you there was nothing in Moses' mind that was uh, uh, imagining that scenario. And and out of his own mouth, he had said to the people, but let's see, let's, let's imagine, let's look at, not the circumstances that we face, not the tight place that we're in, but let's start to imagine, let's see, let's look, let's envision the salvation of the Lord. And the hard thing about that is you, it's there's no way that you can imagine what God is going to do. But what you can't imagine is that he will do it. He will do something. He will rescue you. He is called the Savior for a reason. And It's time for us when we're in those tight places to find God by imagining who he is. And what he's up to. And, and what he is faithful to accomplish. And then. He will do amazing things. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says. But it is. as Excuse me. But as it is written. I has not seen. Nor ear heard. Nor have entered into the heart of man. The things which God has prepared for those who love him. He's got tricks up his sleeve. That you can't. Uh, anticipate you can't imagine but I can tell you I've had a number of those sea parting experiences where I, I look back and I go wow I never saw that coming because see all I was imagining was alright I'm going off the edge right? uh, I, there's I I can't, I can't see any future. And that's when I need to remind myself. Maybe I can't figure out, maybe I can't anticipate what God's going to do, but I, I can turn my eyes towards Him and imagine Him rescuing me. Because He will. He will. He will. You know, as I said earlier, these occasions. Um, I'm sure we would we would wish never happened or if they happen that they would happen infrequently but I'm finding that they happen with with some regularity in my life and I think that has to do with the fact that we have a God who wants to be found God who wants for us to know him to have a relationship with him and He knows us and He knows that it takes um, those kinds of intense moments of desperation to draw us to Himself I'm not saying that He arranges it I'm not saying that He makes that happen I don't think we have that kind of a cruel God but I know He takes advantage of those situations to draw me to Himself and perhaps He's doing that with you today Don't be afraid Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord.